Before we get started today, Shelly and I have a big announcement, something that has been coming together for a long time, and we're announcing it right here, so, right now. Yes, we're really excited to be launching on October 4th, our Big Self Leadership Accelerator. So this is a 10-week program that combines a deep dive into the Enneagram system alongside our seven essential Big Self leadership skills. And so we're personalizing this program to your specific Enneagram type so that you can learn these leadership skills and become this amazing leader for your organization. You're going to be custom matched into a small group. You're going to find out your type. You're going to be able to learn about fixations, patterns, blind spots. It's a program that wakes you up into a more authentic, confident, and effective leader. Check it out at bigselfschool.com backslash B-S-L-A. Well, let's get to this. We've got five strategies of how you can grow with the Enneagram. These are very exciting to me because this is how we can use the Enneagram as more than a typing system, Shelley. Yeah, and we get asked this question a lot. Like it's probably the one of the main ones we get asked all the time. Okay, so now I know my number. What do I do? Like I know there's more to the Enneagram, but I'm not sure exactly how to start, what steps are involved, like what do I do with it? So we really wanted to talk about these five different strategies that have worked for us. They've worked for clients. We've seen them uh, really transform people in significant ways. And so, yeah, let's let's kick it off. There's other ways to get into the Enneagram to learn you know, about subtypes. We'll do that in a different episode. But I really like, and I have to give, Shelly got to give you credit where credit is due. And a lot of the coaching that you've been doing with clients, th- these are like direct, relevant growth paths for how you can actively and dynamically use the Enneagram. The ones that we're going to cover today are self-observation, centers of intelligence, how to use your wings, what they are and how to use them, arrows, what they are and how to use them, and then finally, how to activate your virtue as well as understanding and coming to terms with your passion. Yeah, that's right. Um, So yeah, the first thing that I teach and talk about a lot with folks is the uh, necessity of self-observation. And so that really is kind of the key critical skill or practice that you have to learn when you're starting this journey. And it's almost like I tell people, don't worry about changing behavior, especially at the beginning, it's much more about just observing and watching it. And you've got, you've done a lot of good study around how the idea that we self forget. And then, so how do we self remember and how does self observation play a a part in that? Well, self observation is, it's key to everything that we teach about growth uh, with using the Enneagram system. I would say just period. It's about self observation, but what the Enneagram does and what what each of these other aspects do that we're going to be talking about briefly today is that they almost like you can think of them as giving you shortcuts into 
into your self-observation. So anyway, let's begin with just discussing briefly self-observation, and then we can almost like discuss it within each aspect of wings and arrows and virtues and passions and so on. Right. Okay. So, you know, it, it, all, it all begins, I guess you could say, with that, that concept that we hear about from like, you know, Socrates, it came much before him, but it's know thyself. Yeah. And you can't know yourself until you see yourself. Ooh, I like that. That's good. That's the first thing. That's good. Yeah. So what does it really mean to know thyself? Well, if you are like us, you accept what Gurdjieff has talked about before. Should we say what who Gurdjieff is yeah. real briefly? Yeah. He's like the 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 grandfather of the Enneagram from like a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, I would say about a hundred years ago in the 1920s in Paris, he was introducing it to us, but let's not get into his biography. Fascinating figure that he is. But uh, he was, he made this v- basic premise that we are machines. And I really, I really buy into that. You know, we are complex organisms. We are mechanistic in our habits, in our routines, and in, in the ways that we think in, in systems and system thinking. The lack, the lack of our actually really thinking. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, and also in the ways that we are like fulfilling roles and duties and obligations, or even say hiding behind our personality. Yeah, so Gurdjieff talked a lot about how we're sleepwalking. We're yes. sleepwalking through life, and most of uh, all of us uh, believe that we're conscious. We believe that we are mm-hmm. making conscious choices. And what what his theory is about is, well, in fact, you're not. You know, unless you do the work, the inner work of waking up, then we're all sleepwalking in these habitual kind of automatic patterns of relating to the world. I'm so glad that you bring that up because as a matter of fact, just yesterday I was reading a little section in... um, in Search of the Miraculous by P.D. Uspensky, who is basically, you know, in, in these lectures, translating Gurdjieff's uh, lectures. And in this one part, Gurdjieff says uh, to, to all these people listening to him, he, he says, most people have a really hard time accepting that they are sleepwalking, that they are not mm-hmm. conscious. Mm-hmm. And for you to tell them, not only are you not conscious, but that it's going to take really hard work for you to become conscious. Most people just stop right there and they just, that's it. Mm-hmm. They don't, they, they can't accept uh, that, that it, that they're asleep to themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it's like, I think, you know, self-observation um, is really the first step because you have to be, build this muscle of watching yourself. And a lot of times people are like, well, what yeah. am I watching? What am I, what am I looking for? And that's where the Enneagram really does give you this um, shortcut, cheat sheet, yeah. personalized roadmap for based on your type and your subtype, exactly what you need to be, what key patterns you need to observe in yourself. And you can't change what you don't know. So you have to watch it first. Whoa, that's good stuff. And, you know, Gurdjieff was pretty tough too. And, you know, he would be like self-knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. We do want to do that, but we cannot get to self-knowledge. It's distant from us until we self-study mm-hmm. and we can't self study unless we know how to study. And you know how you do that? It's what you're doing right now. You're listening to point number one, which is 
to self-observe. So you are the central focus yeah, of my, your study. I'm sorry, hit yeah. up. My teacher, no. B. Chestnut. I love her quote because she she says this about self-observation. It's about creating enough internal space to really see with fresh eyes and adequate distance what you are thinking, feeling, and doing in your everyday life. And I think it's similar to what Eckhart Tolle talks about with the inner observer. Yeah. How it's almost like you can disidentify from your personality or from your ego. You can kind of pull out the I, like who you really are, and you can watch your ego behaving kind of as a separate self. It's not you. It's your ego structure that's doing the things that you think you're doing. And so in self-observation, you can create some space and watch yourself. And I think that's this practice also, for me anyway, has created a lot of opportunity for self-compassion. So if I over-identify with my um, personality type or my passion, which is pride, then I feel like crap about myself and I can beat myself up and I get embarrassed. And But if I can pull out and see this personality that is Shelly... <laughs> Uh, engaging and interacting in the world, I've, I'm able to have just a little bit more compassion. And then I think that's where we can really start to shift our behaviors. Self-observation uh, with self-compassion or in a non-critical way. I like, I like what you're saying there. And yeah, this is good stuff. I like the way you just cut to the chase, give us a good definition of what self-observation is. And Soon we're going to have some very specific ways that we're going to say that you can self-observe, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, you know, self-observation is simply recording in your mind what is observed at the given moment. You want to just stay in observation. It's, it's like a study, you know, I, it just, mm -hmm. as you were talking, I thought of how people, it's ironic, I guess, that people love to talk about themselves, you know, <laughs> but People don't like to, you know, the idea of, oh, I'm going to study myself. Yeah. They, they're very uncomfortable with that. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's because, uh, one, it's really difficult because we are so unconscious to a lot of those deeper motivations that... Um, of why we want to talk about ourselves in the well, first place? Or I think the talking about ourselves is easy. Like, we're all enough of narcissists to think that that's exciting for anybody to want to talk about <laughs> Well, us. then you should be excited yeah, about but, the idea of self-observing. So, but self-observing, it's deeper than that. It's yeah. deeper than just talking. And I think that that's what a lot of us resist because it um, it's uncomfortable to kind of think about these patterns that we're asking people to look at. Um, like, you know, and I've talked about this before, when I figured out my type and the the pride that plays out for the type two, it's very unsettling and shame inducing. It's like, oh, I don't want to watch that. Well, what's interesting too, is I, I like what you're saying there and I, I do agree, but you know, I think a lot of us too, before we get to that point of like feeling even the shame of knowing our number or something or certain characteristics about it, we're like, we're, we're super like, I was like, that's me. Yes. You know, and then you kind of go like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, like, oh, that is me. That is me. Self-observation. Yeah. Well, the good news is whatever, however y'all are feeling about 
self-observing is you get to be the center of your thinking. Think of it that way. I want to encourage people. I want to say one more thing about this because this is helpful for me anyway. I don't know if it's helpful for y'all. But I find that the cue for me to self-observe is when I'm in some type of emotional reactivity. Yeah. So for me, it can be, um, I can feel irritated or annoyed or frustrated or angry or sad, like some type of emotional, um, heightened emotional reactivity is my cue to go, okay, what I kind of pull out of my head, I pull out of my body, I watch myself. I'm like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. What am I, why am I doing that? What am I feeling? That is hard to do. What am I thinking? Because it's all connected and it is hard to do. And I think especially in the moment when you're reacting. And so, and I'll tell my clients a lot, well, just keep your journal Check in with yourself at the beginning or the end of the day and reflect on, okay, when was when did I have some emotional reaction today? And then that's where you can create some space to really observe it, ask the deeper questions, try to make sense of what was that pattern that was happening at that moment. That's great stuff. And you know, we are practicing this not only individually, but you and I just, you know, right before we went on the show, you and I had a little, um, I won't call it a fight, but you know, we had disagreement. Yeah. You know, had a little conflict zone, right. About stress around like producing certain parts of a podcast and taking ownership of it, working the things that you, you know, when you're working with each other and you get into a reactivity thing. And before I was asking for an apology, I was recognizing in myself, my reactivity. Mm-hmm. I caught it. I apologized. Yeah. And I, it, it worked and again, pretty I mean, well. Yes. That's, that's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to do even when you do know your type and your reactive patterns. Uh, but it certainly does make it easier when you're like, oh, okay, there that it that's there. It's happening. <laughs> I'm doing it again. And you know, and I I don't want to digress here, but Gurdjieff would talk about the different centers. You know, we're not going to talk about the different centers right now. But I sometimes will say that, like you're you're just saying, you you like to self observe when you're feeling reactive. In order for me to practice it, and in order for me to like try to maintain the discipline of it, I try to think of like self self-observing in all kinds of conditions when I'm more at peace, even when like I'm working out and stuff, because I'm, I'm trying to think of how can I tap into a different kind of energy? Because Mm -hmm. the emotional energy moves really fast. The intellectual energy moves slower. There's the moving centers. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. um, Well, let's let's move to our centers of intelligence. Because this, I think, is one of the... um, It's interesting because it's one of the more basic parts of the Enneagram in that there's only three instead of nine or 27. So there's a lot of triads with the Enneagram. And so this is a basic one to think about and to start self-observing. At the same time, I find this uh, this theory of the centers of intelligence really tricky because if you are, you know, there's three centers of intelligence, the body center or the gut center, the heart or emotional center, and the head or the mental center. And if you are as all of us are, one of those dominant centers, it's almost like swimming in our own pool and we don't know that there are other pools. It's like we can't describe being a heart type to somebody who's not a heart type. And as a heart type, 
I kind of assumed everybody kind of picked up information yeah. the same way I did. So it's it's a tricky concept, but I think it is one of the more basic ones that we can start observing in ourselves. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, let's just briefly name them. Body types or gut types, as, we're, as you were saying, are the eight, nine, and ones. The heart types are the two, threes, and fours. And the head types are the five, sixes, and sevens. It's a almost top-down way that we filter reality. It's not as if we, you know, we do use all these parts of us to understand ourselves. But it is a beginning point, I think, in further discerning uh, and learning how to grow and, and self-observe and understand uh, ourselves. Yeah, so I, you're we, a two, I'm a four, and but go ahead. We could do a whole episode just on the centers, centers of, of intelligence. intelligence. Yeah, like I mean, I've had whole classes just on that. It's uh, really good, deep work. But just br- real briefly, the the eight, nine, and one, the body types are um, they. You know, this is how you pick up information from the world. And you interact with the world is through your five senses. And so these folks are very, um, you know, my teacher talks a lot about like, they just sniff things or they feel things. They're like, I don't know. I just know. I just have this gut knowing. Um, And then when they pick up this information almost unconsciously through their bodies, they're, um, they're quick to act depending on their type. So eights and ones are a little bit quicker to act. Nines tend to fall asleep to that instinct. And so they might not act as, they don't act as quickly, but it's all there. These body types are really receiving a lot of information and then um, figuring out how to engage with the world through their bodies. And I think that is fascinating and something that I know I don't fully understand as a hard type. I think it's more my as a repressed center of intelligence for me, I'm, I would say that, you know, as a four, it's my dominant center of intelligence is heart. And quickly after that, it's my head. Those are, those are close. Yeah. And, and then I guess it would have to be body. So I, so when, so when like a one or a nine or an eight is talking about how they just know something like in their body, they just Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. that's hard for me to understand. It is. Yeah. And I think for me, it's, I think of it more as a dormant, not repressed. I think it's just a little bit, um, I'm not, I'm not, I've not flexed that muscle as much. I'm not really consciously worked to be in my body. Um, heart types, two, threes, and fours real quickly. So we are in the heart center, the emotional center. We are uh, really good at reading, reading the emotional kind of landscape, whether it's, um, you know, in a room or between people, very relational, um, we all have kind of um, close contact with our emotions. Like we are all emotional people, but I think that it comes out differently depending on the type. So, uh, and we won't get into all that, but just there's an emotional intelligence, a relational, relational or social intelligence that the heart types um, have pretty naturally, kind of unconsciously, we're we're picking up and reading emotions in our environment all the time. And as speaking as a heart type, you know, when that is your reality and you don't have language for it, like being able to go, oh, this is my center of intelligence, you naturally are like, oh, isn't everybody sort of like you know relational relationship focused or really affected or processing by, through their emotions all the time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, and, they're and not. They're, no, not at all. 
well. Um, yeah, and then the head types, types five, six, and seven, are the mental kind of um, processing, kind of through thinking all the time. So they're taking in information through their thoughts. A lot of planning, insight, analysis. analysis. Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and I tell people a lot because people are like, well, I think I'm a head type. Well, we're all thinkers. You know, to be human is to think, but head types think a lot and quickly. So they have a rapidity of thoughts. They're coming constantly. I've had several head types that I've worked with say it's like I have flow charts and uh, Venn diagrams in my head and I'm like running through them all at the same time. Uh, thinking diagrams. And thinking and, <laughs> and planning. And um, so there's a lot of just kind of um, quick planning that's happening for the, the head types pretty much all the time. And they report like, it's hard to sleep. It's hard to turn my mind off. And so I can relate to that, but I don't think to at the level that a head type has that type of um, thinking all the time. You know, and uh, I guess it's, this is a good time to like remind people that while we do look through a lens or have a filter through which we do interpret the world through our personality structure, that the idea here is for wholeness, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. it's it's for integration. And you, I think you have. Do you remember your Carl Jung quote that um, that you use for like this idea of wholeness? Yes, wholeness is not achieved by cutting off a portion of one's being, but by integrating the contraries. Okay. Yes, that's good. Yeah, you and just I think remembered that. when it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I don't know if I got it right or not. So when we think about the centers of intelligence and how do we self-observe that? Like, what is it? So this Carl Jung quote, I think, speaks a lot to that. So what happens is when we don't know that we are a certain center of intelligence, we can almost unconsciously over-index on that. We default to that way of taking in and giving information in the world. And so so as a heart type, I can get quite emotional. I can overuse that center of intelligence. And so um, no. now that I <laughs> now that I'm aware that that's a thing, like mm-hmm. okay, I can start to uh, incorporate or integrate the other two centers of intelligence when needed. And this is where self-observation is applied right. to any of these given uh, qualities. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's sometimes I don't need to use my emotions. Sometimes I need to think a little bit more logically. I agree with or that. Or sometimes I need to uh, trust my gut and act quicker. Ooh. And so that's really the goal of, for me, I, I, I might be wrong about this, but this is the way I think about centers of intelligence. It's almost like a balance. It's observing um, your dominant center of intelligence mm-hmm. and when it's needed, but also observing when it's not needed. Oh, so it's both memorable. That's a that's a quote that you just came up with. I did. All right, original. Here we go into number three. The the moment everyone's been waiting for wings. 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 Now everyone really does like to talk about wings. Or you know they're like, yeah, I'm a four wing five dude. You know, and it's like, um, what does that mean? Okay, it it doesn't mean as much as you may think it does. Um, but they're interesting. Yeah. There, in fact, I like what you've you you say that Uranio, uh, 
Uranio Pius, one of your mentors and teachers. Yes. Uh, he said he calls wings evolutionary points of growth, yeah. uh, whereas like what we're about to get to, arrows are revolutionary. revolutionary. That's right. So, in other words, I interpret that as. You know, say I'm a four with a three and a five wing. You got wings on either side of you. And uh, and that they are gentler points of growth because they're not so distant mm-hmm. from our identified type. Yeah. So really, ba- to be basic here for a second. So your wings are the two points sitting right next to your type. So as a four, you have a three and a five wing, like you just said. As a two, I have a one and a three wing. Uh, and so that's the wings are the, the lateral points sitting right next to you. Yeah, we do not subscribe to the idea that the the dominant wing or the wing that you're more conscious of yeah. is your subtype. Um, oh, definitely not. We don't believe that. We think that wings are there to help you grow. They're there to show you the characteristics that you most need to integrate in order to become, you know, a whole healthy, fuller self I, as your basic starting point of your personality type. In terms of saying, you know, we're let's stay, stay with the focus here of growth. Using the enneagram as a tool for growth. If you're trying to grow a little bit out of your identified personality, and you know, and even if you have identified a more dominant wing. But remember, this is, mem- I think, a memorable quote is you need both wings to fly in a balanced way. Otherwise, you might be flying in a very crooked way if if you're flying at all. So let's say that you, you are a, um, let's say you're yeah, a- Yeah, one wing, you just fly in a circle, right? Yeah. You're not going anywhere. Possibly, right? Uh, and it, it, the, I would just say that the very wing that you didn't test as, or you didn't like identify as your consciously as your more dominant wing, that may be the very wing to like it's look at. More important, you know? yeah. Yeah, and I just to give you a little bit of an example. So here's a two. Um, I am doing some conscious work, uh, not as much right now, but when I was really starting with the Enneagram, I was doing some conscious work around really learning about the one and the three um, because I wanted to understand what you know what we call the high side. This, the more positive characteristics. So those are giving me insight into how I need to grow as a two. And so the one is a little bit more disciplined, mm-hmm. uh, takes action, kind of trusts their instincts a little bit more. And so now I'm thinking, you know, I was thinking like, well, how do I do that a little bit more? Um, how do I not get so caught up in what other people think about me that I can just now in go into my own instincts and act on that quicker. That's a one wing influence. And then the three of course is prioritizing, like going out and getting some stuff done that I need (laughs) to do so that I'm not just, uh, relational or kind of getting lost in my own emotions, but my three wing kind of pulls me out uh, a little bit and gets me into Action. Well, and I and and let's make one last observation here about wings. Um, 
it, what I think is interesting about them too, especially if like, you know, right now as we're talking or when you have a chance, um, bring up a visual aid of the actual Enneagram and, and look at all the points of it and think about your, your number and look at the, think of the centers of intelligence that we just talked about and think about how the corresponding wings either stay within your center of intelligence or cross into the other. And so for someone like, well, what? Shelly is just talking about her wings cross over from a center of intelligence of a heart type for a two into a gut instinct with the one. Uh, and then, and then on the other side, the three would remain in her center of intelligence with mm-hmm. the hard type for me is a four uh, on on my five wing side. I'm crossing over into the the head center of intelligence. So those aspects are interesting too. Or are you right planted in the middle of your center intelligence of three with a two and a three wing? You're totally in the heart, and and so on. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. But the now this one the arrow work. I think this is pretty challenging stuff. Yeah, it is. It's number um, four. And that's why we we say it's revolutionary. So where the wings are a little bit of more gentle personality development, the arrows really show you where you can make big, big shifts in your personal growth. I feel like we need a visual like a visual aid for like showing the arrows, don't we? Yeah, maybe we, we we do have one on our website, but maybe we could put one in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put one in the show notes. So you can have an idea of what your wings are. And so, I mean, your arrows are. So we, just like we have two wings, we have two arrows. And so you have two other points on the diagram that are resources that you can look at and use to integrate into your growth. Um, and I love the idea that it does, you've got the two wings and the two arrows. So you have four points beyond your own personality type that really show you some areas of growth. And the, the arrows represent, um, it's almost like antidotes to your core types, strongest and biggest challenges. Ooh. And so th- We'll just use me for an example again. Um, as a two, I have a wing f- or an arrow four to four and an arrow to eight. And both of those points really are important for me and my growth. So the four really helps me kind of look inside a little bit where I'm um, more hardwired to look outside at other people. So the four helps me come into myself look at my own emotions, not repress them, um, identify what my needs are, which is something I don't do as well uh, because I'm so focused on other people. And then the eight arrow gives me the power and the authority and the strength to kind of go after what my needs are, what I'm um, wanting for my life. So I'm a little bit more confrontational. I'm a little bit more direct. And so both of those arrows represent important qualities that I need to really actively and consciously integrate. So I will say also too that we, um, a lot of Enneagram practitioners um, will talk about how you go to one arrow in stress and one arrow in growth. And we actually don't um, completely see that. I think I see it a little bit, but what I see more um, when I'm learning and being taught is that you can move to both arrows unconsciously and that will create stress. 
Um, it's a little bit more reactive, kind of moving to those arrows. And the example I've given a lot, I, when I've um, not been as aware or conscious of my reaction, sometimes I'll go to that eight arrow and I become quite combative. Um, I call it my Irish temper. I get a little loud and a little... Well, I'll see, I also see you going unconsciously into your four where right. you're getting a little into envy and melancholy. Yeah. And I think I can sometimes get, uh, start swimming in my own emotions. Um, and that's probably, it's not as healthy. I know. And that's a, that's a, an unconscious movement to my four um, arrow, but we can also move consciously to these two points, and that's where a growth is. So we can grow through both of our arrows. I like that. See, and that—that's how I really uh, reverberate, I guess, with when I begin to think of well, whether or not the arrow is going against or with. Like for me, as a four, the one against is one, and the one with is two. So I should be going into my one, and then maybe if I'm prepared, then I can go to two. But when I'm consciously going to my one, then, you know, suddenly I'm like, I want to do things really well. I do. Mm -hmm. I want to, as you've mentioned before about the one, taking a little bit more kind of gut action and, and, you know, being a little more embodied and and maybe like a little bit like a social justice type of missional Mm -hmm. type of thinking, getting out of myself. There's lots of this higher level of a one that is real, it feels really good. Yeah. Of growth for me as a four. And this is the self-observation piece Mm, for all of this too. It's like observing ourselves when we unconsciously move to these arrows or even to the wings. Um, You you have to do a little bit of study of, okay, what is a four? What is a one? Like, what am I looking for? But as you do that, you'll start to observe like, oh, I'm, I'm unconsciously kind of reacting. And I think that that's part of that arrow. Um, Or I can observe and be consciously like make like proactive moves toward one of these arrows. And so that's how you start to watch yourself behave and like thinking and feeling um, as you're doing the wing and the arrow work. Well, I love that. And that reminds me that this is why, like in terms of just, there's a lot of self-study that we need to do if we're really trying to grow through self-observation. But there's also at the same time, we do need to be like f- filling up our knowledge bank and we do need to be like actually learning about the system itself. And this is why you want to learn about all the numbers because not only are you learning about the other human human beings in the world um, and how they're filtering reality and how you may be able to communicate with them. But you yourself have all these different parts that you could be integrating into yourself Mm -hmm. to aspire to a little bit more wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about the passion and the virtue. Let's talk for a few minutes about it. Yeah. Number five. This is a big one. Um, so first we need to say what the passion is, um, and I'm not sure we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the passion, uh, every type, so all nine types have a, what we call a passion. So this is not like I'm passionate about something. This is not a good thing. <laughs> this is from Latin. It means... It what comes is, from the pa- passio, which is, means actually to suffer, yeah. To suffer from, if you were filled with the, you know, a passion of a disease, 
you were you were suffering, you know, you were su- and so these are aspects of our personalities that they're dictating the terms and and we are going to whether we recognize it or not keep suffering yeah. from these these over exaggerated parts of our personality well, would you put it that way I, I um i call i think of passions as uh these emotional patterns so very unconscious emotional so they're not thinking we're not thinking about these like these aren't like mindsets these are more emotional patterns and so they're feelings very embedded that are very embedded and that we are mostly unconscious to but every pattern of of all these passions have these uh behavioral kind of indicators that we don't see, but everybody else sees. And this I want to add is, so like when I first learned about my fourness, uh, as well as my subtype, which we're not talking about right here, but when I learned about it, I was kind of excited to, you know, oh, somebody recognizes me and they get me. But it was when I I became, you know, the, the thing I wanted to deny and that I was ashamed of was to learn about the, you know, the passion for me of, of envy in mm-hmm. the four. Yeah. Yeah. And the the very first step of self-observing your passion is you have to know the definition. Like you really have to understand um, at a very core level what the Enneagram anyway means by these passions. And so like the word pride pride means something colloquially in our culture that it, that you know, it doesn't, that doesn't, is is not exactly what the Enneagram is talking about. So, so in my self-study, I had to really understand, okay, what is the pride of the two? Like, what is exactly does that mean? And so as you define your type's passion more and more, and you begin to observe it um, as awful and humiliating as it can be to watch (laughs) yourself in personality and this passion kind of like on full display, that's when you start observing that just the observation of it begins to make room for your virtue. Okay. Well, so to say real high level with these, because we could spend an entire podcast on them is, is to say for the ones, uh, the, the, the passion is anger and the virtue that you could aspire to is serenity for twos as Shelley is illustrated. It is pride and the growth path there. The virtue is humility for threes. It is not deceit because it's not deceit of others, but it's self deceit. And so what they're looking for is veracity speaking truth uh, for fours like me, unfortunately, I have to admit that there is of this envy, often a feeling of of lack, or if somebody else has something that it seems like I'm missing it, is equanimity. Uh, and you, you want to pick them up now from there? Yeah. So type five, their passion is avarice, which is a greed. Um, and this, the virtue is non-attachment for type five. For type six, the passion is fear, which is almost like an anxiety. And their virtue is courage. And type seven, the passion is gluttony. And their virtue is sobriety. Type eight uh, is lust is their passion. And innocence is their virtue. 
And type nine, the passion is sloth and their virtue is what we call right action. And so each of these types, every type has a passion and they have a virtue and it's what we call the passion to virtue conversion. And so there's some very specific work that you can do around activating your virtue. And it really does start with self, self-observing when your passion is coming out, what's happening, where do you see it, what are you feeling, um, maybe what ignited it. And then once you do that self-observation, then you can start making intentional choices to almost do the exact opposite, which is what the virtue is. I like it. So those are our five different strategies for using the Enneagram as a dynamic, just living, you know, map system. Not just a dead symbol. Uh, It is, it is loaded and there are a lot of different ways that you can self-observe and that you can apply some of these ideas and principles into your own growth as you develop your self-study and you develop your self-awareness. So I would love for you all just to pick one. Pick one that you're this week going to read about, uh, maybe journal about, like really watch yourself interact with. And we would love to hear what you all discover, what you see as you're self-observing. And of course, if you have any questions about anything we've talked about, reach out to us um, and we're happy to help. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of books on the Enneagram these days, and we have actually created a resource of a bibliography, uh, also full of like what we feel like are the most credible Enneagram organizations, as well as really cool other podcasts um, in and around and about these topics. And we're going to do that on on a very, very quick episode, very coming soon to you. So stay tuned for that. We're going to deeper dive and give you some suggestions of, well, where do I go if I want to learn more about, you know, my passions and virtues? Well, we've got some books in mind for you. Got you covered. Hope you all have a great day and we'll see you next time. Okay. 